Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's May 5th, 1964. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. So it was on this day that the Clean Up TV campaign was launched at Birmingham Town Hall here in Britain. More than 2,000 people had come to be part of it. It was standing room only. And at the centre of it all was an entirely self-appointed middle-aged lady who gave a tirade about all the filth being broadcast on British television. And her name was Mary Whitehouse. And she was a, a long-time Christian activist, but she wasn't a professional speaker. She was a school teacher, and she'd only come up with the idea for the Clean Up TV campaign the previous year when supposedly she came across two of her pupils miming sex okay and this this was a weird detail that i encountered as well they claimed that they were pretending to be christine keeler and mandy rice davies who you may remember <laughs> as the showgirls at the center of the perfumo affair <laughs> and they said they'd seen them on tv fine there was mm. obviously a lot of tv coverage but i find it hard to imagine that those two women at any point simulated sexual intercourse yeah. on tv surely she busted two kids ha- having sex not not pretending to have sex. <laughs> no, they were mimicking sexual intercourse and she was disgusted. I think they were young kids. That's the point. She was outraged oh, okay. and she said, where did you learn that? I think let's not let, let's not let the Profumo affair detail get in the way. Because I agree <laughs> with you, like actually Mary Whitehouse was very against infidelity. So in a way, I think she might have been keen on exposing the Profumo affair. It's complicated. But let's put that to one side. The point was she saw some children mimicking a sexual act. And she was like, this is, why has this happened? They said, because of something we saw on the TV. And she was like, right. I'm going to do the only thing I can do at this point, in, in fairness, in 1964. I'm going to write to the man who runs the BBC. <laughs> and she got a surprisingly you know, personalised, swift reply. The thing that really struck me about the early days of her campaign was that even before she was a national figure, she was just writing you know, to Mr Green at the BBC and she was getting replies from high-ranking people who did feel like they had some kind of duty to explain themselves to her. Years later, at the peak of her influence, the sort of functionaries at number 10 used to hide the letters that Mary Whitehouse had sent them because they didn't want to have to reply to them. It was like there was this era where every single person who wrote in got a personalised reply. Well, partly that's because of the delay that letter writing allowed for, wasn't it? And that's the point of getting a letter. You can get it up to a week after it was sent. You can think about it for a couple of weeks before you respond. But coming back to her motivation, I mean, the other weirdness that struck me about that early encounter with the the kids pretending to have sex was that she was, as well as being an art teacher, she was also in charge of giving sex education. And I I would have thought... What was a Mary Whitehouse sex education lesson like? (laughs) She she knew that they must have got the idea from TV because they would never have come away from her sex education classes. Her lesson would have been like, Jesus gave us genitals and we used them to make babies. The end. But she would have gone, look, the kids are sort of, you know, picking up stuff from my lessons and taking it into the corridors with them. I mean, as Rebecca said, like she's what now would probably be seen as a kind of far right evangelical Christian. Then she was just a a woman from the Midlands who was into her religion. For example, she met her husband 
at a Lutheran campaign group called Moral Rearmament. So for a long time, <laughs> she'd been into what can we actively politically do to make people follow the the words of the gospel. I mean, that's really what was motivating her. And, and she yeah. was incredibly savvy at leaning into her image as just an ordinary housewife who just had enough of filth. You know, in actuality, she was an educated woman. She was a teacher. She hadn't just stepped out of her front room and decided that she was going to address the nation. But she was very clever at, at playing up that image. And I think that's one of the things that did make politicians and executives at the BBC afraid of her, was that if you tried to diminish her by portraying her as this small-minded housewife, she was much more savvy than her image. And she knew how to hit back. But it was also the thing that kind of undermined her as well, because she was across so many issues that she was accused of being just scattergun in her campaigning. She was against everything from people using bloody and bum instead of, you know, bottom and bother or whatever. And the horror at the Beatles saying knickers, she was against all of that. But she was also campaigning against and probably rightly, you know, depictions of minors in sexual situations or provocative situations. Yeah, I mean, whether or not you think that what she was campaigning for was sometimes ridiculous. I mean, my favourite one is she tried to get Chuck Berry's My Dingaling Band uh, on an account of the song Encourage Masturbation, which I don't recall needing much encouragement to do. But anyway, whether you think it was ridiculous like that or whether you think it was something that she had a point on, like you say, one of her campaigns led to the law against indecent Mm. photos of children being spread about... Where she did have a reason to exist was that because no one had done what she was doing before, because no one had ever had an organisational body where you petitioned broadcasting organisations on behalf of ordinary people, there was a vacuum which she had to fill. It was because she existed that in the end here in the UK we got the Broadcasting Standards Council, which then became Ofcom, which is what we still have now. So if someone says something you're offended by now, you write to Ofcom. That didn't exist. So she actually, if you believe what she believed... And I do believe that she believed it. She had no choice but to write green ink letters to the man who ran the BBC. She used the very tool that she was mostly against, which was the media, very, very effectively. She knew how to get people fired up about stuff. And ultimately, yeah, it culminated in this huge turnout, standing room only. Although I have to say her distaste for the unpleasant went far beyond diatribes against swearing, sex and violence. She actually objected to the rebroadcast of footage from the liberation of Bergen-Belsen concentration camp on the grounds that it was, quote, very off-putting. Yeah, I mean, she was against violence and I guess that included real violence from war because she campaigned against the Vietnam War being broadcast as well. Yeah, she said that it might sap people's willingness to fight for their country if they saw how unpleasant war was. Which, as journalists, you guys obviously disagree with. Like, it's important for people to be able to see stuff so that they comprehend it. But I think she was wrong then, but she could be right now in the sense that in the world of 24-hour news, you know, how many times do you need to see the Twin Towers coming down. You know, you need Mm. to see it once, but do you need to see it on a loop all day long? Because that's not good for you. Agreed. And that there is a degree to which a little bit of, call it what you want, censorship or or caution does make sense, particularly with the depiction of stuff that's horrible. She believed that the BBC had a what she called a missionary role. They had a switch. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Good job she's not still here, Ollie. She wouldn't like that. A social responsibility to promote a specifically Christian morality. And I guess it comes down Which to it what you... specifically doesn't. Like, mm. no, very specifically, nowhere in the charter mentions that. But then it comes down to the constant debate over what a public broadcaster should or shouldn't be and what attitudes, if any, they have a responsibility to promote. You may not agree with Mary Whitehouse's specific stance, but materially, is it any different from a 21st century person who says that BBC has a responsibility to foster inclusion or diversity? I mean, those things aren't in the original 
purview of the BBC, but certainly people do argue that it has a responsibility to promote certain things. Or is it any different to cancel culture? I mean, that's kind of where we've got to now, isn't it? Like, there are people on completely the other side of the debate with regard to permissiveness, but still come to the same conclusion, which is, you know, I don't like what you're saying, so you should not say it, and we should not engage with you. People still perpetuate that now. A lot of people that have a lot of support still say that. Just recently, the Times had an article that was headlined, Woke Prudes are as bad as Mary Whitehouse. And it's, yeah, that sort of does capture something of that feeling that, like, things have flipped and the people who used to be liberals and and the, the sort of lefty side have become more prudish and resistant to a whole lot of stuff. So that dynamic of left and right has sort of, at least this Times article was trying to say, flipped on its head. I don't know if you've seen on Twitter, there's like been loads of campaigns lately to cancel rape scenes. The idea that you don't need to see sexual violence depicted explicitly mm. in films and that there's something sort of titillating about it that shouldn't be there. And she was basically saying the same thing. And we've sort of come around to the same position from a different way. And everything kind of ebbs and flows, doesn't it? I mean, when you think back to ancient Rome and gladiatorial competitions with people being quite literally dismembered in in front of you as a form of entertainment. You sort of wonder whether there were Mary Whitehouses of that era kind of going, do you know what, less of the horrific lion on man eating kind of violence. And she at that time or he would have had a point. They wouldn't have got an audience at Birmingham Town Hall though, would they? <laughs> Tomorrow. Can you do the voice again? What did she think of the train? Uh, she thought the train was quite splendid. <laughs> now, follow us on Spotify and get bonus material at patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 